Yo, 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 yo. Welcome to episode number 58 of the Basketball Card Podcast. I am your host, Adam. You can reach me on Instagram at the real 27 guy. I'm laughing because my wife just came downstairs just in time for us to start this uh, start this podcast today. Uh, but welcome everybody to to the podcast today. I'm grateful that you would download it and grateful as always for your uh, friendship in the hobby and for your connection. Um, it's been a it's been a really great week for for me in the hobby, and we'll talk about that here in, in a couple of minutes. But first, I wanna um, I wanna mention a few other things. Uh, first off, if you want to reach me, if you want to get a hold of me and let me know what you think of the episode, or if you have any thoughts or anything like that about the magazine or anything, you can reach me as I mentioned at my Instagram, which is at the real twenty seven guy. You can also email me at basketballcardfanatic at gmail dot com. Um, before I say anything else, I want to highlight a couple of uh, shows and people that I think are doing special things in the hobby right now. Um, one thing that is going without mention um, more than it should is the kind of the, the death of Worth Point. Worth Point has been an incredibly valuable and important um, tool and resource for for um, people who have been aiming to catch uh, trimmers and those who are altering cards and for whatever reason sort of out of the blue it seems that worth point is no longer available some people don't realize this but you didn't have to have a worth point account to be able to see old auction images and um, and you know, words and, and listings that was really important because you could anybody could look up and see what a, what patch existed on a specific serial numbered card or could see what an autograph looked like or what edges to a card looked like and it allowed people to to do a lot of um, to do a really a lot of really good uh, work to find some of the bad things that are happening in the hobby and all of a sudden a lot of that data is gone and Kyle from the the Wax Museum podcast has been talking about that and highlighting it I want to commend him for doing that because Kyle's good at sometimes recognizing some of those things that we should be talking about more, and that's really a huge thing that we need to be focusing on more. So um, I don't know what can be done. Um, I um, I started the podcast that, that he that he did on that, and I need to finish it. But um, you know, without even listening to it all completely yet, I would recommend you definitely go listen to that, and uh, you know, let's figure out as a community different ways that we can ensure that our cards aren't being adjusted by the bad guys. The other person that I want to give a big sh shout out to is Jeremy Lee, J. Lee Sports Cards on Instagram. Um, I listened to about half of his podcast today with uh, Patrick Bet David, who is the seller of uh, the couple of really big Gretzky cards that were sold in the last couple of months. And his perspective is refreshing because um, the thing that I the thing that I've taken away from that first half of that interview is he thinks in a way that's really different than most of the people who you'll hear out there right now. If you're anything like me, you gravitate towards people who think their own thoughts. Um, what I mean by that is sometimes we can become a little bit of an echo chamber. Sometimes in any different aspect of life, you can just hear people saying the same things over and over and over again. And I think if you listen to a lot of hobby content, you're going to realize, wow. 
a lot of people are saying the same sort of things, and I think there's a couple reasons for that. I think most of us listen to each other. That's probably one reason. And most of us are probably pretty aligned. Um, and I think that it's just easy to fall into some of the same you know, stances over and over again. But when people think differently, I think that's really good. So I wanted to give both those guys a shout-out before I said anything else today. Not Neither one of them know or expect me to, to share that, but... I want, to sh- I want to share things where I see that great things are happening. There's lots of great things happening in the hobby, but wanted to highlight both of them. All right, well, t- for today's episode, I want to do really two things. The first is I want to review um, the uh, issue six of Basketball Card Fanatic. Um, there's a lot in there and a lot to digest, and I know not all of you subscribe who listen to, 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 the, um, to the podcast approximately one in six people who listens to the podcast subscribes. I would obviously like for that number to be bigger. Uh, and my point in, in part, of ta- part of my point in talking about it, though, is knowing that not everybody's a reader. Not everybody wants to have a magazine in front of them and to read. I'm not going to share with you a lot of the details, but I want to share with you some um, and want to you know give you a taste of some of the things that we're talking about but the other reason is i want to drive those of you who are readers and who who do like maybe thinking more deeply and having something that you can sort of just pour over in a way that's not as possible with the podcast um a way that we used to do with the old beckett magazines uh you know that that i want to drive you there and um i just i couldn't be more grateful for your support um, for those one in six of you who have subscribed to the podcast, uh, or sorry, who have subscribed to the magazine. But um, as always, we're looking to grow the magazine into something that's really special and important in our hobby marketplace, and we're on our way. But uh, but I would invite you to check out the magazine um, to go to paypal.me slash basketball card and to pay that 10 bucks for issue six. Um, and then if you like it and if you think that it's worth worth that, I'd invite you to subscribe for the year. I, I think that the the thing that I would tell you is the feedback has been, I always say the feedback has been tremendous. That undersells it, guys. Everybody who has bought it, who has been willing to then reach out afterwards, as all said, just amazingly glowing, glowing reviews. It is a ton of work, but it's a needed voice in the hobby today. It gives voice to collectors. It's um, it's hobby content that's not just about um, you know that's not just about pricing or about financial aspects of the hobby. It's about collecting. It's a voice for collectors, and the aim of the magazine is to make you a happier, smarter, more long-term pers- perspective uh, basketball card collector. And uh, I think it'll do that for you. And I think you'll appreciate and get to know a lot of the people in the community who are doing great things too. So uh, we're going to review that. And then after that, I've got like five or six questions from people. I About an hour ago, maybe an hour and a half ago, I put a question on my Instagram just seeing if there was anything that anybody wanted me to answer as far as a Q&A goes. And so I'm going to do that. And I hope you guys like that. Um, but without further ado, let's let's get to the magazine. Let me make sure. Let me look at my notes real quick. Just make sure I'm not missing anything. Okay, yeah. Let's get to the magazine. So Basketball Card Fanatic Issue 6 has one of the great uh, basketball cards of all time on the cover, and that is the gold uh, level 2 retro incredible Wilt Chamberlain autograph. 
on the bright blue auto, serial numbered four out of 13. Um, Wilt has four autographed cards that were pack pulled, and I guess, I suppose you could say he has two, one from Legends and one from Retro, and each of those has a parallel. And this is by far the rarer parallel, parallel of that. And this card is owned by Tristan. A lot of you know Tristan. Uh, you know him if you were on the the, uh, the blowout forums in its heyday uh, when he was known as Tristan20. Um, he uh, is on Instagram now as um, as Logo Man Shark, and he has just one of the most amazing collections. But the thing that will stand out to you about Tristan, if you've ever heard him uh, speak or write, probably haven't heard him speak, but if you've heard him write, you'll know that he is just as blunt as can be. He tells you what he thinks, and that's not always the popular thing. Um, he tells you what he thinks, and I, you know, much to what I just said about uh, the the guy about Patrick, who who um, Jeremy was interviewing. I like Tristan because Tristan just he tells you what he thinks. It's his it's his own thoughts and. Um, those people who think very differently are, are, in my experience, the people who are most worth listening to. So he's the interview today. But before we get to that interview, um, I'll, I want to take you through take you through a few other things first. Um, so um, in page two of the magazine, um, I, I give a um, in my opening letter. And my opening letter concludes with an ad. And the ad is uh, what I would tell you guys, too. And that is that we want, you know, I, I would love it if you'd subscribe to Basketball Card Fanatic magazine. Um, and so the the deal in this issue is that, that we publicize here is $25 for the next for the next three issues. And again, I'd invite any of you guys, um, I'd love for you to, to subscribe. 25 bucks for the next three issues. Pay, PayPal.me slash basketball card. And uh, and that's how you can that's how you can start that out. Okay, then we get to um, and then we have the index page, and then we get to the three in uh, three indices. Uh, sorry, the table of contents page, then the three indices. The indices this month were or in the month of January. I just I don't I don't want to give away too much here in in you know in this this podcast, but the indices were a story of something that other people have described as a shift from um, the modern speculative type cards into the legends. And so, you know, that tells you what you need to know about what in what the indices did, except for the more modern stuff, the modern index, which again is cards from 2010 to the present, um, 50 well-known cards from 2010 to the present, that index didn't actually go down. I think people would have assumed that it, that it decreased in the month of January. It didn't decrease. But what it didn't do is it didn't increase the way that the other two increased. Now, I'm not going to tell you the exact details of, of how much each of the next two indices grew in the month of January. But what I will tell you is they grew more, each individually grew more than any index grew in any specific month that we've done thus far. And it wasn't even close. One of the two indexes did something that is hard to even describe without e without you seeing it. There's a graph, and the graph shows you from last month to this month how things changed. And when you look at it, it just doesn't even seem real. But when you look at the prices of the underlying index, um, you know, and the cards that you would suspect that are there, 
it will begin to make sense. These changes that have happened are signs of the investment that is coming from outside of our hobby. Um, there is no rational and normal way that, that this specific um, index grew the way that it did in the month of January without a real influx of cash. And, um, you know, you can probably figure it out without seeing the magazine, but if you want to see the exact data as to, like, what the index's value was and what it is now, um, it, it's pretty staggering. And, uh, and so, yeah, I would invite you to, I'd invite you to check that out. Next up is the conversation with Tristan. And my conversation with Tristan um, was fantastic. Tristan is the person who I ascribe the quote, buy the card, not the grade, to. That was his saying on Blowout for years. And, uh, and it's, you know, it's something that a lot of us sort of live by. I'm not anti-grading. I've graded a lot of cards. I've graded a lot of cards for my PC. But Tristan talks about why he had, or about an, a, a situation that he had, um, an experience that he had, where he really adopted that phrase and how he's lived by it since then. Um, and uh, it's fantastic. He shares, shares his thoughts on, um, on, what's the word, on hoarding and um, how he feels about that. He talks about the increase in prices of the old exquisite stuff. Um, you know, he has a lot of that old exquisite stuff, and your, his perspective there, I think, will be interesting to you. He talks about his love, or lack thereof, of lack thereof of uh, 90s inserts. Um, and and I, that's interesting because, you know, 90s inserts is like one of my favorite aspects of the hobby. But Tristan's got a very different thought on that, and, I, and so I asked him about it, and he, he, shares, he shares what he thinks. He talks about how he's changed in the last few years, specifically with regard to trading um, and, and why trading is important to some of the... He, he refers over and over again to the old-timers, the old-timers. And, and the, way that, the way that I would spell this out for you guys is imagine being in the hobby, because I know most of you aren't the same way. Imagine being in the hobby as a high-end, quote-unquote high-end guy back in like 2004 or 2005. Imagine paying $500 for a Michael Jordan exquisite autograph patch. And then imagine, you know, 15 years later, what that card is worth, still caring more about the cardboard than the money, but also, like, caring about the money, and then also wanting to acquire other pieces of your collection that are now so expensive. It's just a really hard sort of, like, it's just a really hard thing for somebody like that to, to deal with. Um, you know, paying that much more for a card. Um, he talks about some of the crazy deals that he's made, or that he made back in the day, and um, some of his biggest regrets. He talks about some of the cards that he moved that he wished he wouldn't have, and, and how he used to open up a lot of cases, but how he basically stopped because he can't really afford it anymore. One question that I asked Tristan, I thought his answer was really interesting, too, is... Um, I talked to him a little bit about like what it would take for him to sell certain cards, and most of the guys who I've asked this question to have had like this very like this this answer that that just screams like I will never sell my cards. But Tristan's answer is funny because he's like everybody has a price, and I have a price too. And again, I thought that was refreshing because it's not typically what 
we want to hear from a real collector, but Tristan's had the, these cards, a lot of them, for close to 20 years. And he's seen appreciation on some of them of 100 and 200x. Like, he's as big of a collector as any of us are. But he owns the fact that, like, look, if you're willing to make me a crazy offer, I'm willing to sell anything in my collection. And although that may not be what we want to hear, I think it's pretty cool. I talked to Tristan about what he, what card he wanted on the cover, and you know what cover, what he, what he chose. It's the, the Wilt Chamberlain autograph to 13. He talks about why that card is really important, and, um, and uh, yeah, I think that's really cool. When I asked him, you know, to talk about some of the things in cards that he thinks are really underrated, he shared several points. But one of the things that he mentioned that I thought was really cool is he thinks that cards from the legends where you have like more than one autograph on a given card. He talked about why those are cool and um, things, elements about those specific cards that are really, really cool. I, I want to I say, like I think Tristan's one of those guys who, who sets trends because of how he feels about cardboard. And so, you know, look at the things that he's talking about there and, and think about that. We go on to talk about some of the things in the hobby that he sees as current issues or as current problems, and um, you know he he says if he could wave a magic wand, that he would love to see people be able to collect. Um, he'd love to be able to see kids collect, and you can you can hear the concern in his voice when we talk about what the prices are on 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 boxes today, and and how he feels like. You know, basically, you have to be a millionaire to be able to buy boxes. Um, his his uh, interview is fantastic. I'm grateful for the time that he spent with me. He's a busy guy professionally. He's a really private guy, and you know he hasn't been interviewed in this way by anyone else. Um, and he hasn't been on any of the podcasts and things. Although I know a lot of people have have sought for him, so it was really a pleasure for me to get to know him a little bit better. A guy who I've known for gosh ten years now, I think. Um, and uh, we don't we don't always agree on everything, Tristan and I don't. But I respect the heck out of him because he's a he's just one of the original great uh, collectors of this era, and um, and just really tells you what he thinks. And I think that's something to be commended. The next interview is by is the second installment of an interview by Card underscore Sham Card, Card Sham Card, and he wrote an article on. FOMO. Um, my wife and I were sitting downstairs and I was reading this to myself and I ended up reading large sections of, of, his, of his piece to her because it resonated so much with me. He, he talks about things in such a way, um, he's a great writer. He talks about things in such a way where you go, gosh, that is true. That is why I behave that way. Um, FOMO itself is not a very complicated idea, but understanding how it influences how we think and how we behave is really interesting. And that's what I think kind of what his goal was at this article. Totally give it a read. It's three pages long. Kevin did a tremendous job in um, you know in designing it, and it's a great it's a great read. And I think it will influence how you collect if you let it. And uh, I think. I, it won't it won't influence what you collect because that's not what the goal of this ever is to do. But it will influence how you collect in terms of you know how you move forward and how you think about buying and selling and those types of things. So I want to thank him for that because that's an awesome article. 
Max Dekine or Max Dekine uh, at, at Max D-A-K-I-N-E was kind enough to write an introduction to Top Shop. Uh, you, if you've been watching or listening to different things in the hobby recently, you've heard some things about Top Shop. But if you're like me, you don't really understand what it is or why it is appealing. And so I asked Max if he'd be willing to write an introduction to it. And I think he did a really great job. I left this article, which is just a real quick read. It's just uh, two pages long. And I thought, cool, now I know what Top Shot does. I know why people like it. I know why people think it's going gonna, it's gonna to do what it's going to do. And he talks a little bit about you know, uh, how much it's increased in the last little while. And I thought it was really, I thought it was really well done. Um, I would definitely recommend that, that, you, that you check that out. The next article is another pretty quick read. It is by somebody who I think most of you know. His name is Tone, and he's at GameUsedTone on Instagram. He previously worked for both Panini and Upper Deck, um, and I first heard him on the Wax Museum podcast with Kyle. Another shout-out for Kyle in this episode. Uh, Tone's, Tone's got experiences that are really unusual. Um, and so... You know, he is he and I were talking about different things he could share. It became clear to me that he knew he he has hundreds of articles that he could write. Um, he has experiences that are very unusual with players, with the companies, and um, you know after he he wrote this and um, you know the things the other things that he's done. I'm pretty sure that you're going to just continue to see more and more of him in you know out there in the, the hobby community because. Again, because he has such unique experiences. But this article is about um, a specific set that he numbered in a funny way and how that ended up getting all the way to the end product. And uh, and it just is one of those things that just sort of your jaw drops a little bit and you think, wait, that really happened? And, and there's some images in the in the, the magazine that, that uh, show you exactly what happened. But uh, uh, definitely give that one a read. The next article is by somebody near and dear to my heart, and that is my son. Uh, Aaron, the 27 kid on Instagram, wrote an article about how he acquired his Kobe Bryant autograph. Um, and this is an article that I asked Aaron to write, probably mostly for selfish reasons. Um, you know, there's a lot of you out there who I know who are, who are dads and who are collecting with your kids. and. This last couple of years, Aaron's really gotten into cards. He loves his Pokemon cards. He loves his basketball cards. And he had an experience, you know, over the course of about six months where he acquired a collection from a very kind and um, extremely generous member of the community. Um, uh, and, and then he was able to turn part of that collection into this Kobe autograph because another kind and generous member of the community was willing to make Aaron a really good deal. But Aaron basically got to do most of this on his own. He, he had a little bit of help from me along the way, but, but was able financially to do the whole thing on his own. And he has this sort of grail card that's the center of his collection, and he gets to write this really cool article about it. So I was happy for Aaron and happy to see him, happy to see him do that. Um, the next article is an article that was hard for me because I felt I thought it was important. I thought it was important to write, and I thought it was it was good to have other people help with it. But um, it was hard because it's an article about eminence, and in some parts of the the hobby, I'm sure I'm known as kind of like the eminence guy. 
Eminence is my favorite Panini product ever, and so I didn't want to write too much on my own about it because I didn't want my bias to come through. That's a little bit hard. My bias is going to come out and come through in a lot of things. Um, but the Eminence article, I put out like a plea to different people on Instagram and said, hey, is this something you'd want to write about? And I had eight or nine people in the end who wrote things, but two of them wrote longer pieces. And I just said, you know, this is what we should do. We should include these two things, these two reviews of Eminence. And a lot of it's about 2014 and a lot of it's about 2019. Um, I thought it was important because 2019 Eminence is the most expensive product that's ever existed. And I think it'd be wrong for us to not review it. So uh, it was good to have both Nico, that's Philly Card Collector, and uh, Adam from A Winter underscore Cards 41 uh, talk about what they think about Eminence and took their words and published them along with a couple of the cards that they've acquired. And I think they did a really good job. Eminence is, um, Eminence is not for everyone. And uh, let me start it by saying that Eminence is not for everyone. But uh, for me, it's the coolest product that Panini's ever made. And um, it was good to hear their perspective on it and some of the, some of the negative things that they, that they see about it. And some of the, but, but more so, uh, they kept it pretty positive and, and talked about the things that they loved about the product. And that's why I really liked their reviews. Which takes us to the last, uh, the last three pages of the magazine. Wyatt's Art, 1961 Fleer, by our friend, uh, the the man whose stature in writing for this magazine is just growing by each by each issue, because he's so good, guys. At Black Griffin Cards, I would have never guessed that he was going to write about this set, but he messaged me maybe six weeks ago and said. I think I want to write about the 1961 Fleer set. And I was like, all right, man, we'll see see what you come up with. I never would have thought for a second that that was a set that he would have chosen to write about the artistic um, aspects of. And I got done with it, and I thought, how in the world have I never thought about that set that way? I'm not going to share all of the details about why 1961 Fleer is art. I'm not going to tell you why Kevin said what he said or what he said. What I will tell you is, again, his articles will change your perspective on things. If you're like me and you have a left more, if you're more left-brained, you're more analytical. Um, you know, you're more business-oriented and and uh, numbers-driven and that sort of thing. You maybe don't kind of get in touch with that creative art side very much. And and this is what makes I think Kevin and I are really great partnership on the magazine is he thinks about those other things and just knocks it out of the park and uh, and he did it here he really did uh, this this article's really wonderful and um, I won't say anything else about it other than that I think that you'll learn from it and I think if you're not reading it you're making a mistake and I think if you buy this art buy the magazine and you just read this one article it will 100% be worth the price of admission I will tell you to buy it, and then if you disagree with me and you don't think the art, that the magazine is worth worth it, I will 100% give you a uh, a refund. But it's 10 bucks. Again, uh, PayPal.me/slash basketball card. 
um, or uh, conversely you can just uh, PayPal me go to your PayPal account and send 10 bucks to basketballcardfanatic at gmail.com but I would encourage you to subscribe either to the next three issues for 25 bucks or um, for the next year for $100. And uh, again, just really, really appreciate all the support for everybody thus far. You, for those of you who've been getting it, you know it's a, a, it's a, lot, of, it's a lot of work. It is, but um, it's made worth it by the people who enjoy it and for those of, you, those of you subscribers who've supported us through it so far. So thank you for that. All right, let's get to our questions. Um, our... Uh, our Q and A or our mailbag that uh, that we've had or that I've had open for the last couple of hours. Looks like I've gotten about seven questions in the last two hours, and I'm just going to run through each of them real quick. I I looked at the ones that I'd gotten before um, I started the magazine. Looks like a couple of it, uh, or sorry, I started the the podcast. A couple of them have come in since then, but uh, I'm just going to go through. I'm going to go through all of them real quick. All right. Bear with me one moment. Okay, so let's start at the beginning. First question that I got. <laughs> this is a question that may or may not be related to the indices. Um, basketball card collector ninety three on Instagram asked thoughts on the vintage boom. Well, not to give away anything from the magazine, but as you heard me discussing earlier in the episode, um, any time an entire segment of anything increases the way that the vintage card market increased in the month of January and for the first part of February, you know without question that there's something very unusual going on. And just because I say the word unusual doesn't mean that I'm I'm saying that there's anything nefarious going on. I'm, what I'm saying is something very different is happening. This is a you know, this is a, a um, group of cards that historically have been so consistent. They've gone up far less than you would guess. But we've seen such tremendous gains recently that it makes you wonder. You know, it makes you first wonder what prices are real. It makes you wonder who's entering the hobby. It makes me think about something that uh, that uh, Jeremy's guest on his podcast talked about. He talked about like how there's certain investments that are sort of safer long term. And historically, I would say that vintage was super, super safe. But given how much it has increased very recently, like that high degree of variance that we've seen is actually like something that I think is exciting and worrisome. It may just keep going up, or it may just plateau, it may just stop, it may just stay where it is. All those things are possible. It also may like come back down, like it did last year after a huge boom. Um, you know, when you have lots of people, lots of big dollars coming in and out of the hobby quickly, mostly in, it just creates variance. And so, um, you know, I love vintage, um, basketball card collector 93. Some of my favorite cards are vintage. Some of the stuff I showed off today on my Instagram is vintage. That's like, it's my first love in the hobby. I love vintage basketball cards. But an increase in price of what we saw last month is something to take note of and to proceed cautiously with. Um, don't, again, this always takes me back to the same, same saying. Buy what you like. Because if you are buying something that you like and everything falls apart price-wise, 
at least you'll own something that is enjoyable. But if you buy something that you don't really care about and then it tanks in price, then you have something you don't even like that you paid a lot for. Um, I love vintage, but I would also suggest that the sort of price gains that we're seeing immediately represent an increase of an influx of cash to the hobby, and that some, sometimes creates self-fulfilling prophecies around why things are worth what they're worth. So I would say again, pr proceed, proceed with caution. But I love vintage, man. I love it. All right, Drake's underscore PC says 90s or early 2000 inserts parallels that get too much love or not enough love. It's a great question. I love that. Um, I would tell you some of my favorite uh, design uh, inserts are um, from the Mystique um, brand. A lot of the Mystique stuff from um, the late 90s and the early 2000s, even the stuff that's very common, is some of the best looking cards around. And if you're just into aesthetics, that's that's a great way to go. I'll also tell you that I'm putting together a few sets uh, from that era, and I put them together because I believe they're under um, underappreciated. One of them that I put together was the 1997 uh, Flare Metal Universe Gold Universe set. It's a 10-card set. It was just available in retail. It doesn't have Kobe or Jordan in it, and so it doesn't sell nearly as well as it should, but aesthetically, it's one of the nicest insert sets ever made. It's basically like a gold PMG, um, not super co not super common, not as rare as a PMG, but still really rare. And you're finding those cards for forty and fifty bucks. I put together the whole set for like three hundred dollars. It's a great great way to go. Um, also put together also working on the um, the two thousand Beam Team set because it's just so darn good looking. Number to five hundred. It started to go up in value, unfortunately, but um, but still not nearly as bad as a lot of stuff. And then. Another set that I really like is the 98 Hoops Prime Twine set. A lot of people don't like the look of that, but I just love the um, the die cut on that. The, it's one of the most intricate die cuts ever made. In fact, both of those last two sets are. So I love both of those. But anything that's different, that's you know unusual, um, that uh, that people aren't really looking at, a lot of that stuff is is awesome. And the early 90, or the early 2000s provides us with a lot of sets that aren't appreciated because people are so, so focused on the, the late 90s. Um, the other thing that I'll tell you that I really like, and um, I don't know if this prompted your, your question at all, but uh, I love sets because I'm now like a Kobe collector. I love sets where Kobe's the best player in the set. And what I mean by that is he doesn't have Jordan in the set with him. So there's a few inserts from 99, 2000, 2001, 2002, where he um, he doesn't have Jordan with him, and the insert set is still really nice and it's really limited. Those are the sort of Kobe's that I'm after. I'd love to find a raise the roof Kobe number to 100. Um, there's a couple out of EX that are really nice that I've that I've gotten. And there's a couple of other sets like that that are, that are really nice. Uh, the That's Jam set would be one of those. So as far as overrated stuff goes, I don't know. I mean, there's there's certainly some cards that are just valuable because they're numbered, but they don't look nice. I still like those, though, because rarity is the most important factor to me. Um, you know, I actually, like, the most popular parallel set of all time is the 97 PMGs uh, with the green to 10 and then the red to 90 that's actually just not my favorite parallel set in fact of all the big parallel sets from 97 
that might be my least favorite. But people love it, and it's certainly worth a lot. So, good question. All right, I'm going to try to go faster on these, these last few because we're about ready to hit the hay here. Okay, Fourth Floor Cards asks, thoughts on acquiring sealed wax and keeping for the future? I've been enjoying it. Yeah, some of the best investments I've ever made were buying wax and just leaving it sealed for a while. But I do think we're in this weird spot right now where wax has increased so much so quickly that, again, it makes me worried about, like, just because it has gone up, you know, over the last 10 years um, in this incredible way doesn't mean that it always will, right? Demand's been at an all-time high. And what if some of these... What if some of these products are just being really held by a ton of people and that turns out there's not a lot of people who are really interested in buying them? There is some risk there, is what, is what I'm getting at. It's probably less so than a, than a lot of things. It's probably less so than an average rookie card is out of, those, out of those products. In fact, I'm sure it's less risky than that. But the prices are so high that, it's, that it, it, it makes me nervous. It's not a no-brainer anymore. You know, when I invested in 2012 Flawless cases... Total no-brainer. I did the same thing with 2012 National Treasures. Total no-brainer. In both those cases, we made a bunch of money, and it was just easy. But I, 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 if you're paying you know, $4,000 for a box of Prism at this point, it doesn't feel as much of a no-brainer. All right, Powell cards. Grade through PSA oneself or through a third party? Pros and cons. Uh, I will tell you what I do. I grade through um, a third party. I've graded through two different... Uh, third parties. One is called, I always forget his, his IG. His name's Chris. It's like SoCal Sports Cards or something like that. Sorry, Chris, that that's not coming to me right away. Um, uh, he He's somebody who I've sent one large submission through, but I haven't gotten it back yet um, because PSA is taking forever on everything. And the other one that I've used a couple of times is one that's really popular that a lot of people know about. Um, he's known as Juicer on Blowout. Um, but he has done, he's really just like created this whole like giant business around grading and submitting, uh, sub- submitting as a third party. And so I sent him a bunch of stuff, I don't know, six months ago or something and got it back. And he just did a really good job. He's really professional. And, you know, they then, then they'll, they'll consign the cards for you, for you too. It's, it's kind of like a one-stop shop. You send them the cards, they get them graded, they sell them for you, they do all that. You know, they don't have some of the same bells and whistles that like a PWCC does, um, but PWCC doesn't grade for you. So when I submitted st- stuff to him the first time and I just needed to, I was, I was actually submitting it on behalf of somebody else. He's like, hey, what do you want to do? Do you want to pay for the grading and have the cards sent to you or do you want us to consign it? And I was like, just sell it. Like you, I was selling it for this guy anyways. Just go ahead and sell it. And so they took care of it, and uh, they do a really good job. The benefit there is, um, well, there's a lot of benefits. But one of the major benefits is that you don't actually have to, like, you don't have to worry about the actual, like, sending it in on your own. You know, you don't have to need, you don't have to know all that stuff. You let them take care of it, put it in the right holders, get them sent off. A lot of times you're getting them back faster. A lot of times... You're getting them back less expensive because you don't have to pay the return insurance. You know they're just picking it up directly from you know, the company, and that saving on that return insurance and return shipping is really is really good. And like I say, they're faster; they get a, a bulk deal, so you're getting it cheaper. You're getting it faster. I mean, there's just so many benefits that you get from that, and 
working with somebody like PC Sports Cards, I forgot, I didn't even mention their name, working with somebody like them is, is, is huge. The problem is that everybody realizes that it's huge, a huge benefit, so everybody sends their cards there, and now um, you know, it's probably not as easy to get their attention, which is like the one downside. Um, but having said that, like I've texted him before and got an answer back real quick and they're great as far as how responsive they are. And I like them a lot. It's just clear that they're really busy. All right, let's keep going. Just a few more here. Um, mostly nineties basketball card says, are you thinking of doing more selling with prices way up? I am selling a few really big cards out there right now. Um, and that is because I had, I probably a dozen people have asked me, maybe even more in the last week, why are you selling a couple of your big cards, Adam? So I have two cards of my own that are out there right now. I listed my Trey Young uh, Gold Vinyl Optic Rookie, which is a one of one. And, you know, it's Trey Young's best card out of Optic. And even base Trey Young cards out of Optic are hot and and, and, and expensive. But, uh, but yeah, it's it's the best one. It's the it's the Super Fractor. Um as it would have been called in Topps Chrome or the the Optic Gold Vinyl today. Uh, and then the Giannis Acetate, which is one of his best rookie cards. It's his RPA out of Immaculate that's numbered to his jersey, uh, numbered out of 34, and it's BGS9. Those are two of my best 20 cards in my collection. So, Adam, why are you selling your big cards? Well, I think there's a few different reasons. One is what uh, what this user on Instagram is is pointing out. Like, are you, are you selling while things are, are, are up? Part of it is that it's nice to feel like while while things are, are selling for a lot of money that you want to that you want to cash out and you want to capitalize. That is a part of it, but it's a small part of it. The bigger issue is that I don't enjoy collecting more speculative um, current stuff than I do some of the, the the greater things that are out there. And I've had a number of opportunities to to buy big time cards and big time collections recently, and I've had no cash to do that. If I don't have any cash. Then I am really limited, and so you know, people always point out to me, Adam, you're you're card rich and you're cash poor. Yes, I am card rich and cash poor. I need I needed to to get some cash, so sold. I'm selling those, and then I I bought a card for a friend. Um, he wanted me to invest ten thousand dollars in a Kobe Bryant card, and so I was able to acquire several months back a credentials rookie of Kobe. And so that is currently listed at open auction, as is a Michael Jordan Fleer rookie that is a friend's that I sent in for him to, to be sold too. So all four of those cards are cards that I sent in, but only two of them are mine. And um, I'm selling them to, the, the two that I'm selling are, are, are on, on behalf of those other people because they wanted me to, but the two that I'm selling, it's to create liquidity. It's to hopefully cash out at the right point, but I've never been good at timing things. I've gotten things wrong timing-wise over and over and over again. Um, especially the Trey card, I just feel like, like Trey might be the best, Trey might be the best scorer in the league in the next couple of years. Trey might be somebody who competes for MVP awards and Eastern Conference championships and fine. Like he might be the Steph Curry of, of this generation, right? Like he, he's amazing. Or that card might be worth a few thousand bucks. I may end up totally regretting it or totally being grateful I get rid of it at the, at the right time. You just, you don't, you don't know, but I, I don't really want to sell that one. I'm probably going to look back at this podcast someday and say, see guys, look, I did think there was a chance that he'd be great, but you know, you have, you have to take some chances and you know, would I rather sell a Kobe right now or a Trey? I'd rather sell a Trey. Would I, would I rather sell a Giannis right now or a Jordan? I'd rather sell the Giannis. So that gives you an idea of why. 
Um, as far as other stuff though, you know, if you have stuff that you don't really love and you can make some money on it so you can go buy something that you do really love, I'd always recommend doing that because I'd always recommend buying what you like. All right. Collecting D-A-O-I-L says, I'd like to hear current thoughts on your focus and the top 100 list. Has it changed much yet? It has changed so much. I feel like for the first two years I did it, it changed hardly at all. And then this last little while, like I just keep, I guess it hasn't changed as much in like the last two months. But I've had so many chances to move up to get big things that I've had to like cash out on a bunch of stuff that's lower on the list, which is the point of the list, right? It's the point of it to have, you know, to have stuff out there that's like, that's more like stuff that's untouchable and then stuff that's that's more gettable if I can go get the right card. Um, I've continued to add a Kobe here and there, but Kobe stuff's getting so expensive that it's hard to continue to do that. Um, again, not that I think that his stuff is going to necessarily cool down anytime or continue to go up. I have no idea. What I know is that when I made that podcast six months ago about the Kobe Bryant market and why I was buying Kobe, I was so totally, completely sure that buying Kobe was a great decision, again, with both my head and my heart, as I said during that during that episode. And at this point, I'm still sure that, like, there's a lot of people who really want Kobe Bryant stuff. Um, but it's hard to know where the tipping point is, right? Because stuff is so expensive. I would still buy Kobe even at current prices over basically anybody. Um, but I don't... It's it's just getting harder and harder to find stuff that I feel like is reasonably priced, especially when you view it through the lens of what I was buying stuff for a year ago. All right. And then this, which takes us to maybe the last question, which is from a goods only, a goods only. He says, am I crazy? But how do you not sell the legends right now? And what he's getting at is this stuff has gone up so much why wouldn't you sell the legend stuff and cash out while you can? This goes back to what I talked about with the indices, where there's been this shift from speculative players to the legends. It's kind of like all the young guys in the hobby simultaneously said, you know what? I don't need all of this stuff that I've been speculating in, and seeing all these crazy ups and downs isn't as interesting to me. I'd rather just go buy some of the really big cards. I think that's part of it. I think a bigger part of it is that you have all this new money that's coming in that's like, Zion's worth that, Jaw's worth that. I wanna go buy something a Kobe. I wanna go buy something a Jordan or a LeBron. Um, and those people, I think, and those dollars that have come in, I think that's what's driven that. And and then these guys who are who are, who see their cards more as like cash. It's more just liquid to them. It doesn't have as much meaning. They see the gains that are happening over there in the in the um, legends category, and they're like, I'm getting out of this stuff. I'm going to go get into that legends stuff. So I think, you know, that's, that's what's caused that. But in answer to your question, I have no idea. I don't know what's going to go up and what's going to go down. I've never been good at timing those types of things. If you could... Like, get inside the head of all of the biggest players in the market and find out what they're going to do. You'd have a pretty pretty good idea. What I can tell you is this. I've never... 
I don't collect at this point, like just to make money. I don't just do it because of the gains that my cards will have afterwards. I have cards with lots and lots of gains built into them from some of the legends, but I just don't have any desire to sell. What if they started going down, or what if they went up more, or whatever? Like it just, it doesn't have any impact on me. You know, the great, the best example that I have for you of that is, um, I so I have the the 2008 Chrome Gold of Kobe where LeBron is guarding him, and you know those of you who've been following the the hobby know that that card is one that has is you know not in the gold because the gold hasn't sold in a long time but in the the common versions of the tops and the chrome and the refractor and the extractor all of those have exploded in value and so i had i had like i don't know probably five people last week asking you know what do you think it what do you think the the gold is worth at this point and my answer is probably pretty funny but like i don't have any idea what it's worth i don't have any interest in selling it i didn't buy it with the perspective of it going up a ton in value i thought it probably would but um, the reason that I wanted to own it was because I because I felt like it was such a key Kobe card. I just wanted to own this key Kobe card, and so you know the the people in the hobby who were who were you know maybe defining a lot of it are the people who are just buying it because they want to own it. They don't view it as a liquid asset um, or as cash, but they view it as something that they really want to be part of their collections. And what I think you want to do is you want to find those things. You, know, you want to be like those people. You want to find those things that um, that you want to own, that you want to own for more than a week or a month or a year. You want to just own those cards. Um, the best sells that I've ever made, ironically, are the hardest sells. And those are the cards that you have for five years that you watch go up 20x, and then you get to the point where you need some cash, and that thing is no longer as important part of your collection, and that thing is to a point price where you think, you know, it does make sense for me to move this. Um, you know, so that's that's the way that I look at it. I play more of a, a long game where I don't think about selling for a really long time and it doesn't matter what all the ups and downs are in between, but I think this is a card that I want to own for a decade. And uh, if you can find those types of cards and focus on those, I think you're doing something right. But again, that's the way I like to experience the hobby. That may not be the way that you want to. And However you want to um, is just as valuable and as important as the way I want to. So let's see if we got any more if we got any more questions. Um, actually, my Instagram's doing funny stuff. I'm not sure I can even get there, but um, I don't think I can. But anyway, um, I want to thank you guys for uh, for downloading the episode again. As always, I went about twice as long as I wanted to. My wife's gonna probably get mad at me here in a second, but um, but she's awesome and patient and good and hopefully asleep. Um, but uh, I want to thank you guys again for those of you who have, who have uh, not only downloaded the episode, but those of you who have um, taken an interest and in, in sent DMs and whatever else. It has been a crazy few months, but watching the magazine grow has been a lot of fun, and I want to thank you supporters. You are awesome. Thank you, thank you, thank you for all the support that you've given, uh, and until next time, happy collecting. <laughs>